Hi, welcome to BoobTube, the podcast where smart women talk about what they're watching and not watching. I'm Amanda Teuscher. And I'm Sarah Whitus. Hi, Sarah. We're back in high def this week because you... I have my microphone. As I said <laughs> earlier, it sounds like I'm wearing glasses. Yeah, this is Amanda's glasses for her voice, having yeah. a microphone back. Thank you. Sound you sound smarter. Are you wearing glasses? <laughs> <laughs> you sound so much crisper. <laughs> um... I also have to tell you, so thank you to my mom and my stepfather, Phil, for sending the microphone to me. They also put in another thing that I found at, like, my mom's local antique store when I was there that I had forgotten over the holidays, apparently. And it's um, this book by this guy called Thorn Smith, and it's called The Passionate Witch. And I, Ooh. like, I spent five American dollars on this book because, like, the description of it was incredible. Hold on a second. I'm just going to read you, like... Um, Thorne Smith and his brief but amazing life established a one-man literary genre. <laughs> so, so no one's heard of That's him. not a thing, a one-man <laughs> literary genre. Like, no, it just means he was a weirdo. And yeah. No one was doing the same stuff. In the seven years since his death, no one has usurped his unique... This is so funny. No one has His unique it. place as a creator of alcoholic hilarity. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Alcoholic hilarity is actually good foreshadowing for this um, episode. Oh, where we'll be talking about Bojack Horseman a lot. <laughs> and then this uproarious novel recounts the remarkable consequences of the marriage of a meek and respectable man to a grade A witch. T. Wallace Woolley Jr., a wealthy widower who lived a quiet life and quiet and stuffy life on a diet of vitamins and vegetable juices, did not know what he was getting in for when he rescued a strange woman entirely nude from a burning hotel. Uh, sketch. And then it goes on. Anyway, I I don't know if I will ever read it, but I'm just so glad um, I have it. A meek man married to... Which a was grade obvious, A witch. Right. Like, that's a substitute for another word there. I see what's going on here. Grade A witch. Right. We do generally rank witches on grades. Um, I just it's love called the, like, the one-man literary form. The, it's the alcoholic hilarity. The passionate witch. Yeah. I can't also, it's hard for me to imagine that there are witches that aren't passionate about what they do, you know? Yeah, they, yeah, it kind of goes with the territory. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good... (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about Alcoholic hilarity. (laughs) Yeah, the the, uh, hilarious alcoholics genre, which is definitely already a genre uh, (laughs) that you did not invent, but... Seriously. Uh, yeah, when like, I bought it, I bought like a pair of earrings and that, and the very sweet ladies that like work at this antique store were definitely like, hmm, <laughs> at my purchase. An alcoholic married to a witch also definitely sounds like untitled Stephen King project, right? Like, <laughs> I feel like this yeah. is also kind of minus the hilarity, but that's extremely good. Um, I had wanted to mention to you that. Since you talked about flirty dancing, uh, oh god, I'm sorry show. about that. Everyone, still, um, I'm very sorry. Well, I've now heard it discussed on two other podcasts since it's a phenomenon. You mentioned it, and so you were. What did they say so about it? I don't. Well, the more in depth discussion was on a podcast I listened to called Night Call, um, which is sort of a vaguely which is hosted by three uh, women writers that I like a lot. Um, And just kind of they talk about weird 
happenings and and then whatever else they want um but <laughs> molly lambert was talking about her love of footy oh, and she, I've, I've heard of her and molly lambert also loves uh, below deck um so yeah, you guys actually good. have she's pretty good. good yeah similar similar tastes um and so she was they were talking about um how the european version of the show is much better than the american version that's kind of what I was saying. I just yeah. sounded weirdly like homophobic when I was saying it. But yeah, <laughs> that's what I was saying. Yeah, well, I they think were, they were like, about, like the aspect of like how the European one doesn't have like the same like competition sort of aspect as like the American one. It also didn't seem from when I saw it was like too um, earnest. Like it was er- no, that's not right. It, it was earnest, but like a little bit more self aware, maybe. Hmm. Hmm. Um. I just honestly yeah. never expected to hear flirty dancing discussed in normal conversation again, honestly. <laughs> and then it just like almost I mean, immediately happened. Happen again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and almost immediately, but uh, Jenna Jenna Dewan is getting that paycheck though. Good for her. Good for her. I can't... Seven months pregnant wearing stiletto heels all around LA. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Respect. <laughs> um, I could never. No, and why would and, and why would we want to? But um, so we are going to talk about a couple of things today. Um, I was first going to talk about what I've been watching. I feel like I've been in a little bit of a lull with TV. Like there hasn't been like a lot. Well, I've been you like went mostly on just, vacation. I went on vacation, but there also hasn't been. I went on vacation. I was in. Hawaii, which was great. I didn't watch any TV, basically. I think I'm just really glad to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not saying I wasn't on Twitter, so there was still self-destructive behavior going on, (laughs) but it wasn't of the TV-watching variety. Um, And, But I also feel like for the last couple of weeks, I've been, like, watching shows that I've already been watching, but there hasn't been anything... I was feeling like there wasn't anything, like, totally breaking new that I was right. interested in, which is yeah, always like, kind of nice. Are you caught up on The Outsider? Yes. I am caught yeah. on up on The Outsider. I've won, I, think we, I'm, I'm, I think I'm an episode behind. Yeah, that. and I think we should definitely discuss that again uh, once the season ends, because yeah. I think it continues to be pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, I was saying... Oh my God, uh, the Hey Jackie Boy. So scary. Yes. Yes. Very Stephen <laughs> King scared moment. scared the crap out very of Very Stephen King moment, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, And then... Uh, I, John Oliver last week tonight came back this week, which I wanted to endorse because his sort of spiel for the episode is about Medicare for all, which I thought was a really good, um, primer on Medicare for all. And like, just love to have John Oliver back in my life. Um, you know, there are people that call it primer. Is that the British way of saying it? Or is that like, is that an American way yeah, of saying it also? Yeah, that was a very dismissive, if it, if it is the British way, I'm just like, there are people who, um, I think. Is this a Sieg segue before. situation? <laughs> Wait, what? Is this a Sieg segue situation? It's, it's definitely not that. Okay. No, I say primer. I say primer. Okay. But like when you said that, I just ha- in my head heard someone go, well, let's just write a little primer. Yeah. I mean, I can see John Oliver saying it that way, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a good, a really good, a kind of also his attempt, you know, I love, I love uh, John Oliver's staff attempting to um, summarize everything that has gone on with the Trump, uh, just Trump world over the last like four months in like 90 seconds as if you could possibly. Um, yeah. But. I mean, do they? Yeah. They attempt to. I, I yeah. will say to our <laughs> listeners, like, I am 
was thinking this morning as I was making coffee and stuff that I feel weird, like, talking about TV, because right now our government is being purged of non-loyalists, and, like, it's deeply yeah. scary, and I don't think it's getting enough coverage, but if we're going to talk about ab- TV. Anyway. It's absolutely... I mean, it's like, I think that... I mean, this kind of is TV-related, but I do think that, like, we're at a point in the... You know, I mean, not to go, yeah, like, too far off, but this is kind of TV-related, like, in that the Trump administration is now, like, so full unhinged, like, going into, like, what you know, the actual campaign season re-election for him, like, that yeah. the media needs to, like, completely recalibrate. <laughs> it's it's all, I mean, it's easy to say this, because it's just, it almost means, like, it's all about the framing, but I, I just, this is kind of like fascism authoritarianism, right? And this, yeah, this is, is what it looks like. What yeah. they need, I mean, my kingdom for a headline that says democracy under threat on the front page of the New York Times, or like MSNBC Chiron, Right. Or a CNN Chiron that says Trump, um, you know, just really this, not Chris Matthews talking about how Bernie Sanders getting union voters, like, surprise, surprise, is the, the same it's as the same Nazis thing in as... France. Like, right. can, we, can we please have some perspective about right. what is actually happening? And most Americans are so uninformed or get their news from television specifically, not even just like the New York Times front page, but they get it from television and you have to center it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, and we're so obsessed with the, the, the election right now and the Democratic primary that we're completely missing what's actually happening. So and anyway, that's, that's just my keep... PSA. Totally. I mean, like, it's not that the primary isn't extremely important, but you can report on like literally what happened in the primary and then, okay, good, got it. And then uh, 70% of your <laughs> yeah. like, programming and, I mean, time should be, <laughs> should be focused on what the hell is happening here because it's Yeah, it's because there's not much to talk about with the primary. God, right. like, God knows they'll find ways to talk about things, but it's it's – not as important as what's happening in our government right now. No, it's, it's just not. not. Because if any of those people win the Democratic nomination, like literally any of them, except for maybe Bloomberg, but if any of them win, they will, like, that's so, the, the differences between them are so insignificant compared to the differences with the Trump administration that yeah. it's like, it doesn't actually matter that much. Right. So stop just making up story, like just having panels to just discuss nothing. Like Endlessly. Nothing. Right. I mean, yeah. So this is, I mean, this has been the politics hour with Amanda and Sarah, but like it is TV related because it's like the it's way the media. that yeah. particularly MSNBC is like just an absolute shit show, I think. And like this is, yeah, where people get a lot of their news and it's like just you need a fundamental rethinking of how... <laughs> God, 24-hour news has been so fucking bad for America. <laughs> it's been it's been so like, bad. Truly, fuck you, Ted Turner. Um, I mean, it would have happened one way or the other, but... Oh, God. Um, anyway, so we're going to talk about um, McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In other news. <laughs> Monopoly games. McMillions. Um, I mean, you know, there is uh, still more than ever uh, more fiction you know like more television non-news television programming um than there ever has been before i and think, it's good and it's good and it's good, like they, they, they produce it so well they it's, make you so hooked <laughs> some people are paid 
handsomely to do it. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> that is so true. I've been watching. Uh, I was excited about this. I saw I first saw a commercial. I didn't know this was happening until a couple of weeks ago when I saw a commercial for McMillions on HBO. So I <laughs> was like extremely into McDonald's Monopoly when I was a kid. Um, yeah, the McDonald's Monopoly game. I would say like we ate a decent amount of McDonald's as a family. <laughs> like it was very, I don't think my mom who is of course listening to this would refute. Hi, Gail. <laughs> Gail, I don't think that you would refute uh, the idea that it was very easy to convince my parents to take <laughs> us to McDonald's. <laughs> like it did not require a lot of pushing and like also something I did like at friends' houses all the time. And I would definitely collect the game pieces and, like, I had a little place in my room where I would, like, stockpile the game pieces and, like, you know, occasionally win, like, a free chicken nugget or something like that. Um, and so the the game, I didn't realize, had been going on since, like, the late 80s and um, continued through the early, early 2000s. Um, and I had never heard of this entire scandal at all. I didn't know anything about it. I, I remember I the Monopoly game it. being a thing, but vaguely. I mean, I definitely, like, if you told me, like, what was the big Monopoly game in the 90s, I would you have could, very yeah. easily been like, remember oh, it was that. Monopoly. I remember that. So I shouldn't say vaguely, yeah. like, this was, but I, we never, I never participated. My family yeah. didn't really eat McDonald's or fast food very often. It was very much a special treat. That yeah. pop. Chicken nuggets with honey mustard and a Mr. Pib was my uh, standard mcdonald's order um yeah i had never heard of this at all and it turns out that's basically because (laughs) much like um the story of gary condit (laughs) and uh and and chandra levy like the mcdonald's story basically like broke right before 9-11 so like every other news story just like you know washed away and this was great for McDonald's, you know, because it really could have, I think, probably had a bigger uh, impact on, you know, their image as as a company. So when I first heard about this, I also assumed that McDonald's was itself involved in the scam and that, like, at some point they had just been absolved and, like, that was that. Um, and so I was assuming also going into this, like, I'm sure McDonald's doesn't you know, isn't, isn't a part of this documentary at all. Like, um, because I assume that they are, uh, they were somehow like involved to keep people from winning the money, I guess. But, um, in retrospect, that doesn't make a lot of sense because it's like (laughs) a multi-billion dollar corporation and they're like giving away some cars and a couple of, you know, million dollar prizes. Like, what do they care? Um, they don't need to keep people from winning these prizes but so the um actual story like not to go too far into it i mean i don't really think like to me this isn't something that like spoilers really like necessarily here's the thing is like i kind of want spoilers because i watched the first episode and i get that it's a little confusing yeah it's a little confusing up front and i think well it wasn't even that i just was kind of like i wanted to google it and just find out what the crime was because i felt like they were drawing it out i was like how can you possibly make this into four episodes like yeah it it finally ends with them being like and it was the vp of simon (laughs) marketing and i'm like jesus christ get on with it already like you don't need to spend a full 30 seconds explaining to me how you 
combed through the phone records to look for <laughs> matching numbers. It's like, I get hard. that concept. You know it, what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I think it's hard because it seems like there was too much here to make it an actual documentary, but maybe not quite enough for, like, multiple episodes. I mean, if you make it a two-part documentary, then you can make it. It's definitely, I think it's maybe, I'm trying to figure out actually how many episodes. It's six. And there have been six. Oh, I thought six. it was four. Oh no. my God. I thought it was four. Episodes. It's six. And there have been three. I can't three. do it. I can't do it. I That's will say. So what I was going to talk about here is that in the third episode, it really, it really ramps up. The third episode is fascinating because you really get into the human like part of the story and the people who are really involved so uh, yes the mafia involved i had no okay so apparently um it's also being turned into a movie by ben affleck and uh and and matt damon no it's not (laughs) yes i don't know that they are in it but they're producing the movie yes oh my god please let them be in it because i hate it oh my god (laughs) the carrot so the thing that makes the third episode of this show so great. So like what you need to know about the actual story of what happened is basically that um, you have a a leak, a security leak. So a a marketing company came up with the whole game for McDonald's. You know, they, they did not, this is not like they're in the, they have a um, contracting, you know, they contract a a marketing company, like you said, called Simon Marketing um, to come up with the game, the rules of the game, do everything involved with pulling off the game. And uh, because they don't, you know, this is like they make fast food. They don't like do, (laughs) you know, games. So um, that happens. And the marketing company has a printing company that actually prints off all of the um, all of the game pieces. And it's they use this company because they've used them before. And they actually are like for what they do. They're an unusually secure facility for printing materials like they print a lot of like you know just very sensitive stuff and they have a lot of stop you know they have like a lot of security and had at the time what was for the time very advanced security technology and everything um but what it does none of that matters if you have like a high level leak basically (laughs) in your system which is which is basically what happened is that you have someone who's um sneaking out game pieces, million dollar game pieces and other game pieces and connected to the mob and not just like some off brand Florida mob, but like the, uh, the, the mob family that is connected to like one of the five families, um, is, and I didn't, um, and Amanda, even better for you, it's the Columbo family. (laughs) <laughs> which I didn't know was one of the five families. Oh, that's um, so good. I didn't either. I don't think I could name all five families. No, I think the only one I could tell you is like, what's the one with the, you know, what's his face? Um, I need to read some books on the mafia. It's fascinating. It is pretty interesting. And like the way in which they, you know, kind of um, the tentacles of the five families like spread out across the country, like, but particularly the East Coast, obviously, but is is really interesting and so you have this this mob connection where this guy is basically then um uh recruiting people into winning the game pieces and then essentially forcing them um to give them 
uh, a cut of the winnings, and that's how he's, you know, making money off of the whole scheme. Um, so the there's a lot of setup into this in the first two episodes, including like what the basically the way we get into the story is through the FBI angle, and the FBI is essentially tipped off. The F, the FBI's Jacksonville, Florida. Um, office is tipped off as to that there is something going on with the uh and if, with the with the game that it's that it's rigged and at first they don't take it very seriously but then they start looking into it and it like becomes they realize like that it is actually this whole giant scheme of corruption um in which there were basically like nobody actually won there were no million dollar winners ever in the course of the entire <laughs> game over the you know 15 years or whatever no one legitimately won a million dollars despite the fact that there were um several like quote unquote winners who got a lot of publicity and the fbi winds up kind of doing this sting operation where they go undercover and tell the winners that they are making um like a tv special uh that is like gonna talk about you know like looking back at their win and how it changed their lives and this, so they go to these winners who were of course not really winners and they actually get them all to co on camera with their stories what? they do that in the first episode they yeah the and then guy. they yes and then they they show us more of them um in the in the third episode and it's like wild that these people actually agreed to go on camera to do this um so the internet is like basically obsessed with this one fbi agent named doug matthews um who you probably saw in the first episode uh who's like the very animated he's, he's funny the priority for the fbi at that particular juncture was um healthcare fraud we're working a one to three year type case that's a long time Sometimes I have that ADD th thing of the shinier object or whatever. So I see this, this note in the corner part of his desk, and all I saw was McDonald's monopoly fraud with a question mark. And I go, what is that? Because I'm bored to death with this healthcare garbage, right? It's important, but I was ready to move on. I go, is this the McDonald's monopoly game? He was like, yeah. Eventually, I was going to get around to it. So what he told me was that there was uh, an individual who had called in and had this story that the Monopoly game was fixed. That was pretty much it. I go, give me that damn thing. I'm going to go check this out. I'm seeing the fun meter with that. Like, that's got to be more fun than this shit that I'm looking at. He's really funny. I think that with this show, because the visuals are, like, generally not terribly compelling, because we're talking about you know money fraud that happened 20 years right, ago right, right, right. like the video the actual video evidence that they have like those um like those sting operations where the fbi is posing as a video crew like that stuff is really compelling but like most of the rest of the stuff <laughs> the visuals are like the same b-roll shot of a mcdonald's over and over again and like right right <laughs> kind of shoddy recreations which i can say as someone who used to work in true crime recreation i was thinking about you with the shamrock production i was, was like... absolutely i was like looking at all of their all of their as we say recre um uh, <laughs> of like the FBI agents sitting in the room and they're like pointing at a post-it note that's like fraud <laughs> you know I'm like yep that's yep I totally something uh that they just got to do what they got to do to to get some footage here um but like the the characters in this universe I think like Doug Matthews 
the mob people are all i mean the main mob guy that was involved is i believe dead i think he died several years ago but his brother and his wife the the brother's wife um our main features and there's a scene in the most recent episode where the brother goes through a, a um like a dunkin donuts drive through and he orders a large coffee with 10 creams and five sugars oh no <laughs> that i think also just like <laughs> i mean you know like, what that's fine that's just ice cream you but just, like right? yeah you just wanted that's okay but i was like the that's the, so oh and then the the mafia guy's ex-wife is also she plays a huge role here and it's just like the characters are are incredible like i mean when i you know obviously quote unquote characters like these are like I think that the people involved are what makes this really compelling. And then, you know, in the third episode, we go into like deep dive on this one woman who was basically, you know, conned into being a million dollar winner. I mean, she was she was not lied to about the fact that she was going to be, you know, she was going to be committing a crime, but she was in a really vulnerable place as like a black single mother who was um, like had no income at the time that that this guy approaches her she's obviously in a really vulnerable position needing money um and she winds up for all of this making essentially i mean she doesn't make any any real money on this at all and in fact like you know commits a crime is indebted to this guy it's a really sad story i don't know i'm curious because like what we haven't gotten into is like whether any of these people um actually served any prison time or if they all you know um gave up information and 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 avoided it or i don't know i find it pretty interesting if you you could even like read a wikipedia summary and start i think that's the just third what I'm episode do. like the third episode is really good so i'm definitely like <laughs> i'm seeing this thing through to the end but i find it uh and then also you could just come back in two years and, and see the mark Wahlberg. i mean the uh the uh uh Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. Well, Mark Wahlberg produced this. Mark Wahlberg did produce this, so I would kind of think that he will have something to do with the movie as well, honestly. It's just going to be all Boston. <laughs> right, they're going to change it. With these three people involved, they have to just change the entire setting. Yeah. Uh, Get in the Florida. code, go to McDonald's. Right, <laughs> from Florida to Massachusetts, just one small change. Um, what if... Uh, got boardwalk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, it changes from McDonald's to Dunkin' Donuts. It was the Dunkin' yeah. Donuts. <laughs> Dunkin' Mega Millions. <laughs> right, Monopoly game. Just some revisionist history. But uh, what have what have you been watching? Um, well, so I, I watched... Remember, I, I think it was last episode or like the episode before I talked about this French show called Bonfire of Destiny. Um, it's about this really horrible fire in like 1910 Paris that killed... It was at some expo, some sort of, you know, trade show. And most of the women, or most of the people who died were women and their servants. Um, yeah. And apparently, like, a lot of these gentlemen, like, a lot of the rich men there basically just, like, push the women out of the way to get out or whatever. That's the that's the story. I don't know if it's apocryphal, but that's what's portrayed in the show. Kind of like the end um, of Titanic. Well, and so the, sh- the name of the show, I was like, that is so stupid. What a stupid name for a show. It is really it's just Is that because it's French? Like, Bonfire of Destiny? Good Lord. Well, it turns out the French title is Le Bazaar de la Charité, which just means the charity bazaar, which is the... So that's what it is, a, a charity bazaar. So they just called it the charity bazaar. And then when they did, like, the English language translation, they were like, you know what? 
bonfire of destiny. So stupid. So stupid. Anyway, it follows these three women that survived this fire. And the first episode, I mean, they spent a good amount of time with this fire. And it is horrific, let me tell you. Um, I mean, it's not super gory or anything, but it's very stressful um, and really horrible. Um, it was like an actual tragedy. And so I'm like, well, this will be just a trashy show because it's totally, if you look at the, the poster for it, um, they have this one woman that's wearing a strapless dress and long CW hair <laughs> as like, the main character. Like, no one looked that way in Victorian Paris. I guess you wouldn't say Victorian Paris, but you, you know what I mean? It's very weird. It's very CW-ish. Right. So I was like, well, it'll just be a trashy show with fun dresses and everything. And I stopped watching it after the, the halfway through the second episode because so the three women it follows, it's this one beautiful young woman um, and then this beautiful young mother whose husband is abusive and terrible and she basically she decides to she was supposed to be in the bazaar but she then snuck out to meet with her lover and so everyone assumes she's dead Mm -hmm. because so she's like well I'm just gonna go with this because my life was horrible and I gotta go get my daughter that he stole from me and put to sent to boarding school in Switzerland or whatever Hmm. so she decides to continue faking her death the beautiful young rich woman her fiance is seen shoving her her servant she sees her fiance shoving her servant into a fire to get away and she's like i can't love you anymore you're awful because he survives as well (laughs) turns out the servant survives as well but of course is horribly disfigured so there's three women and the servant is the one that is horribly disfigured and then is adopted by a crazy lady that wants her to be her daughter who died Mm-hmm. And I just have no, I just, I, I get very annoyed by shows that they're, they, they have richness and beauty as stand-ins for virtue. And then the horrible things can happen to the 40-year-old servant. Anyway, sure. I just, I'm not watching it anymore. So. And which, uh, what, what channel was this on? It was a this? Netflix show. So Netflix. Um, okay. I think it was a Netflix original Okay. Yeah. It's, it or it might be it was produced. It was it's these networks. It says Netflix and TF One, which must be a French, French network. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, um, meh, so it's it's meh. Not I've talked to other really. people that really like it, but didn't didn't seem to. Bonfire of Destiny is a really stupid name. It's so stupid. It's so <laughs> stupid. Like, De- it's just, that's like the name of a band that a bunch of eighth graders would come up. You yeah. Know, they could form a band and they're going to call themselves Bonfire of Destiny. Yeah. You know? Remember yeah. there's band in my middle school, or it was when I was in high school and there was this band in the middle school because it was someone I went to high school's like younger brother and they called themselves Blue Lightning. And I remember thinking when I was 14, that is so stupid. Yeah. That is such Bonf- a stupid name. <laughs> Why don't people recognize stupid names? Bonfire I mean, honestly, Bonfire of Destiny would almost be like a so bad it's good for a band like that. But like, this is. Yeah, bad. if you did like cheesy sort of darkness style music, but yeah. it's not. Yeah. So that's a no from you, dog. It's a no from me, dog. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, also just the whole idea. Even the title makes it seem gross. If you just call it the Charity Bazaar, you kind of go along with the fact that you're like oh and these women's lives were well if you're rich their lives were better because of the fire and then if you're poor you you live in this hell where you are being turned into a different person yeah um uh but in this case they thought the bonfire destiny like it it was destiny for this horrible tragedy to happen right right gross that is weird yeah i don't know who came up with that i don't know what 
I want to know what focus groups and like what uh, test audiences were behind the English language title Bonfire well, of Destiny because I want to beat them up. They're probably. I don't. I'm not going to beat them up. I don't the, believe in violence. But the make fun uh, of them. the scary thing is that they probably had worse ideas that were rejected. <laughs> so that was like if that was that was the best of the bunch. What if? <laughs> I, yeah. I want to know what those would be. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I watched a little bit of. Um, and then, of course, I guess should we just move on to the, the I, um, of it? Yeah. Yeah, I I also started. I watched the first few episodes of uh, this season of High Maintenance, which I've really loved. But I think oh, I'll right. wait uh, until we get a little bit further into that season to kind of regroup um, on it because there's only been two episodes so far. Um, but I did. I have been greatly enjoying. If you are a High Maintenance fan, do not miss the second. Uh, episode which um, the asexual mu- uh, magician who is one of my favorite recurring oh I did like him the asexual mu- magician uh, this episode is a storyline for him that is really lovely um, so but yeah I think that we should move on to our, our main course here um, I was so sad to see the end of it yeah the end of Bojack Horseman truly i think like again we talked about this a little bit in our um in our year-end roundup but i mean i think like not even the first half of the season i think was one of the best i mean easily one of the best seasons of tv on last year but like i think one of the best shows of the last of this like century to me like without a question like of the you know of we were doing a lot of uh decade end lists and stuff like that at the end of last year and like bojack absolutely one of the best shows of the decade it's so it's just so well written i was just constantly reminded of that throughout watching the second half of this last season it was just every line is so smart and Mm -hmm. it can be so funny and can be so moving and it's so thoughtful. Um, There's just rarely, right. Like the thought, the thought behind it, there's just almost, there's just almost never a wasted line. It's yeah. It's yes. It's so well constructed. Like every episode they've, they've thought it through beginning to end. It's there's, it's natural. It flows, but it's also so purposeful. Um, Even the uh, totally stupid, you know, aside jokes like <laughs> there's the episode that had the cat in the tree <laughs> with the the woman who's like she's got like her laptop out and she's like sitting <laughs> the cat woman and she's like sitting on a branch and the fire department is there and she's like I'm so sorry I don't know why this keeps happening <laughs> like <laughs> I just it's like even the yeah the like silly asides are like just so so thoughtful and and funny. everything they do that it's i don't know why i'm thinking of this scene in particular but i found it really sweet is when um diane has written her first book in that series the mall detective the, the mall detective amy 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 yeah. tran yeah <laughs> is that it yeah and i think so and then and then um her her boyfriend's t- son food court he, cop or whatever food court detective food, yeah. food court detective yeah, <laughs> yeah. thank you um, he he reads it and he's just making fun of it. He thinks such a teenage boy, and he's like, "Well, you know, it's, it's stupid." But and he gives her some like really good feedback, you know, that like yeah. he tells yes, her. Yes, I like, love so that. When, scene. when are you uh, gonna read re- write the next one? Oh, 
Oh, you found my book? Yeah, and it sucked. It's totally unrealistic. You read my book? I've been reading it. Obviously, I wasn't going to say it in front of my friends because it's a book for girl babies, but anyways, it didn't even make sense. What do you mean? Like, you say the book takes place in Chicago, but Ivy lives in Schaumburg. Schaumburg, Diane? Schaumburg's not Chicago. It's in the Chicago Metropolitan. Oh, my God! What's next? Evanston, Chicago? Morton Grove, Chicago? Naperville, Chicago? That's what you sound like. Okay. It's not too late to change it. Good. And while you're at it, I've got some other questions. Yeah? Like, okay, when Ivy told Moose that he wasn't her best friend anymore, and Moose said, you're still my best friend, whether you like it or not. Was that real? What do you mean? Like, did that really happen, that someone could beat someone's best friend still even when they're disappointed in them? Um, yeah, Sunny, that's real. Okay, and you know how Ivy kept her dad's watch in her locker because even though he wasn't around, he, she still knew that he loved her? Was that real too? Well, the book is fiction. Yeah, no, I get it. It's just parts of it felt real, you know? Yeah, I know. It was so perfect because that scene did so many things. One, it was funny. Two, it was it was giving Diane it was sunny, sunny guy's son. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was sunny guy's son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was giving her this validation she needed for her book that it wasn't just for for girls or whatever that she hit some truths in it maybe, and it also gave her this moment of connection. Um, with, with him, and she's been struggling to connect with. Yeah, yeah and it was just, and it took them, you know. 30 seconds to do it it was they they just know how to do those sort of scenes i don't know why that one jumped out at me right now but there's a bunch of other ones in this season and throughout the whole show of course but i love i just feel like it's well written ivy ivy tran food court detective yeah is uh (laughs) is is is, uh diane's um and And i I want to read that i do too and i love that i mean i love that her initial there's a few things well also i love that um the guy's name (laughs) is Guy, and his son's name is Son. <laughs> Sonny. That's why I can't remember it ever. Yeah. <laughs> the guy and yeah. the son, that's their names. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, I love that, that Diane, like, you know, part of her her um, wanting to do this, initially what starts out is her memoir, you know, like wanting to kind of, like, um, have some representation, you know, like, I think also um, as, like, an Asian woman, you know, wants to, do this memoir about her, you know, difficult childhood and everything. And like, she spirals into depression, not, I love the episode where she's trying to come up with the the plot lines for the memoir and, and how they're, how they're drawn, like, is just this like very stark, you know, sketch style in the show. Um, I thought that was just really, you know, kind of like the way you would sort of be remembering it you know, in your head where it's not going to be as vivid (laughs) as it actually happened. Um, And, and not, and just spiraling into depression as she like, isn't able to move forward on the book. She has princess Carolyn barking down her, meowing down her neck. Um, And about (laughs) like, (laughs) yeah, she's, she's meowing down her neck about uh, (laughs) finishing the, uh, the book and then, and then turns it into, you know, it's so much easier to write about, I think, like, write these themes that she wants to talk about, like, in fiction form, and then, like, still winds up getting to have this, like, um, female Asian protagonist, you know, of the of the yeah. book series, and it's gonna, like, you know, I just, I, and I, and right, that moment of connection with Sunny was 
Yeah, you do it in, right, you can do it in one scene. It doesn't have to be, you know, a whole, uh, <laughs> a whole, like, drawn out arc or anything just with, just with Sonny. But I loved that where he's like, you know, uh, when, you know, two people, like, decide not to be best friends anymore, can that really happen? <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I know. I just, uh, it was. It was just still friends, right? <laughs> yeah. It was really Aww. good. Um, yeah. And but yeah, it just gives you an appreciation. Sometimes <coughs> I feel like we, when we're criticizing a show, if there's something that doesn't land, we're kind of like, well, there's a way you can, you can have gotten us to this point where we believe this is a real relationship, but you, without, you know, telegraphing at home or without, you know, and these are, it's that kind of writing that yes. does it, that you don't realize it's happening yeah. while it's happening. You just notice it when they didn't do that, when they didn't do the investment. You know, yeah, and when, right, when they unearned. didn't earn it. It's because right. you don't have well-written scenes like that that accomplish multiple things at once. And that's what that's what makes TV and movie writing very different than personal essays or than even novels because mm-hmm. you have less amount of time mm-hmm. to get things across. And every scene has to be very efficient. Mm-hmm. Um and I think Bojack especially did that with this last season because they had thought, Raphael Bob Wexberg had thought that they were getting maybe two more seasons mm-hmm. to wrap things up. And then they had to do it all within 16 episodes in the last season. Yep. So they were had to be ultra efficient. And I think you get that sense. Definitely. It um, feels a little stuffed. Yeah. It feels stuffed. Yeah. And, you know, like I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like they're rushing through things, but I don't. I don't feel like they were rushing through things or, you know, past things because it's not rushed in its execution because you had those well-crafted scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, and another example is that, that incredible episode where after Bojack leaves, um, what's her name's house, he uh, gets Angela. in the car and he's drunk. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the next episode is him basically learning that he drowned in a pool, which you later learn he yeah. didn't fully drown. But um, and it's this dreamlike sort of his brain making sense of things. And it's this dinner with all the people that he's lost or even that he hasn't met, like his uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then a din- like a show with all of them. And it's so inventive and so incredibly done and well choreographed, even just with animation, you know, and well written. And it's very clear that they had their idea to do this episode. And even the fact that they weren't going to have as many episodes to wrap up the whole show, they still were like, we're devoting a whole episode to this idea. We're going to do this right. And they did. I thought it was so good. I believe I read that the director for that episode is the same as the director for the, um, I think it was the penultimate episode of Tuca and Birdie, the Jelly Lakes episode oh um, interesting where where they go out to the lake house um, yeah and which was also I could just, see that yeah kind of surreal and like beautifully um just like yeah i could definitely see that really beautifully really beautifully illustrated um yeah i mean i think that they i agree with you that they they spent the last in particular three episodes really wisely um and that the last two in like just of that even in particular were uh, incredible. Yeah, the whole episode, I think the view from halfway down uh, where right Ugh. where Bojack is is kind of walking in this like 
sort of valley, you know, right between life and death. And he's, it sounds like this is a dream that he's had many times before, but he's used to the point where he, he wakes up. Um, before the show. Before the show where everyone's in this like demented talent show. Please welcome to the stage. No, please. The star of Horsin' Around and the BoJack Horseman Show, Filbert, Secretariat, the upcoming horny unicorn, son of Butterscotch and Beatrice, husband to no one, father to none that we know of, <laughs> stand-up comedian, actor, crippling alcoholic, a talented charmer, and a stupid piece of shit. It's Bojack Horseman! Where all of these dead figures uh, in his life that he's either hurt or been hurt by kind of have this like uh they they go on a stage and kind of do a do a weird kind of just dance or presentate you know and they like do yeah they do songs and then they jump through a door they jump through kind of like the end of the good place like the end of the good place they go through the door yeah it's a little bit less cathartic yeah, much less so um <laughs> much less so yeah his i mean herb uh um bojack's you know partner in in horsing around uh who developed the guy who developed horsing around and um gave bojack his big break you know there's a scene where he's about about to go through the door and and bojack's like well see you on the other side and he's like there's there is no other there's side. No other side and it's like Oh, man. <laughs> um, I, it, I really, that episode is, is incredible. Um, really. And, and I mean, and then we lead into the last episode. Um, kind of interestingly, I read that some people have the take that Bojack actually doesn't wake up from uh, his his drowning in the pool at the end of the the previous episode and, and I mean and this you is can all believe kind of, that if you, you can, want to you I can. don't even think the show creators would like that but I truly don't believe that I don't believe so either it's, and it's also like a real um, cop out you know of like I think but because the last episode is what is the fallout you know of of yeah. of ultimately. So Bo- Bojack does wind up going to prison for a year, um, or or which more, is one I of guess. those things where I could feel like I I have the feeling if they had had two more seasons, that would have been an episode, mm-hmm. you know, right? Like, Him and th- his, there yeah. were there were some things that you know they definitely had to skate past because they decided it wasn't ultimately as important as other things, and that that's fine in how they did it. But I would have been very interesting interested to see Bojack start up his whole theater, <laughs> like program at the, right. at the prison at the prison is working <laughs> uh kind Maybe of what if happens you stopped in... fashioning shivs and you know starting a riot in cell block c you would have had time to memorize your lines kind of reminded me of uh crazy ex-girlfriend where rebecca's trying to start the prison kind of like musical theater program and like just none of them give a shit about it at all none of the prisoners um that she's <laughs> in jail with give a pr- uh, shit about it um but I mean, you know, and, and Bojack winds up going to jail for like the stupidest reason possible after everything that he's actually done. Yeah. You know, is, he just winds up going to prison because he broke into his old house, which has been sold and, and almost drowns in the pool. Um, yeah. But even and, he says he's like, it was for everything. I went to prison yeah. for breaking and entering, but it was also for, you know, for Sarah Lynn and for 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I the the last few seasons of the show have been essentially this like very long form exploration of of me too. You know, I think like and and just forgiveness in general. Yeah, and and self improvement, I suppose. And whether inner, it's possible. Inner part. Yeah. Yeah, and whether that's possible and and what you know, I think we've spent a lot of time looking at um the rehabilitation of famous men and what will what will go you know, what will allow you know, is anyone ever really canceled? And I mean, again, once again, it seems like even after all of this, Bojack is probably still not canceled because he's going to still be working on the horny unicorn or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. Um, he still gets to go to Carolyn's wedding. Um, Carolyn seems like Princess Carolyn seems like she's she's keeping her distance somewhat from Bojack, but is has not been cut. Clearly has not been cut out of his life. I mean, out of her life. Um, and, you know, he get he has this somewhat cathartic conversation with Diane, um, at the end of the last episode. We do know that he has been cut out of Hollyhock's life for good. Yeah, because of the, that letter she wrote to him. Yeah, right? yeah, which I thought was a really, I mean, they didn't have a lot of time to spend on the Hollyhock um, right. plot line in this last half of the season but I thought what we did get was really effective of yeah. his obsessing over this letter and her like not really not really returning his calls um, yeah. and her just like finally putting up this boundary between him and her um, and you know he we don't get a lot of him it's not made super explicit his dealing with being cut out of her life but it, it also I agree just kind of it's part of the whole um reckoning that yeah, he's doing yeah. at the end and, and the downfall that he takes before going to jail um you know what did you what about some of the other plot lines you thought how did you how did you feel about the wrap-up of of well, Carolyn and Todd and Peter I love Butter? Todd he's so fun this season um I thought the stuff with his mom was really interesting. Um, I really, um, and also kind of moving, like when he tries to stage like a kidnapping <laughs> of himself or of her or one of himself and she Todd needs, yeah, Kipper. <laughs> one last thought is so sweet. He's such an idiot. Um, and the final conversation he has with Bojack on the beach is just, I thought it was great. really, yeah. Um, I also really love Judah's song for Carolyn. I thought yes. that was so sweet. And her response um, he's like, to I'm it. very precise, and I don't mean words intentionally. So when I tell you I love you, I mean it. <laughs> and I, in her response to it, just sort of like, <laughs> it was so Carolyn. Mm-hmm. I know. Like, um, I was a little worried at first that she was not going to, like, this yeah. was sort of indicating that she was not gonna reciprocate his feelings but yeah they are actually such a good match that i didn't really even think about until yeah same this last half of the season maybe yeah so i thought that was really lovely um i think one thing i liked about the finale the very last episode was that it only had todd mr peanut butter diane and bojack and i think those four actors were the only ones billed um Mm -hmm. they purposefully 
you know, it's at Carolyn's wedding, but you don't see anyone else you know. You don't even see Judah. He's off school right. working. Even though it's his wedding. So they, yeah. they purposely don't even have him appear in it because it's just the originals, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that brings the show kind of full circle. And um, I think... I like that it ended with that conversation with Diane because she brought up some other themes of the show, you know, like in one of them that you saw in their their Me Too season that they did. Mm -hmm. um, A theme of it was uh, the the effect on, it was centering on the women instead of just the the male antihero and how even if they think he's problematic, he still has power just by virtue of their compassion. Mm-hmm. So she, she mentions the phone call he did right before he got back into the pool at his old house, um, saying like, oh, you didn't call me back. Now I'm going to just get back into the pool. And she was worried for like eight hours. Um, he did that to her, right? He made her, you know, feel this way. It wasn't, it wasn't fair of him to do that. Like, why is he calling her? She, he knew that she lived in Chicago just to exert power over her one last time. Um, and she brings this up, and that's, uh, I think, like a big theme of the show. And I also appreciate what she said after. She said, well, maybe that's just, you know, I forget what she ex- actually exactly said, but she's like, maybe that's just life. It's just, you know, worrying about people or something like that. Do you remember that line? I yeah. I forget what it was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it just, it making it's making things not so simple. It's not always as simple as cutting people out of your life. And it's not always as simple as saying, I'm going to be better. And... Um, our relationships with people are complicated because we're complicated and there's going to be more give and take than it's often unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Diane is in a good place in this, right? She's, you know, getting happy married. She's happy. Yeah. yeah. She, so she smiles more in Houston, which I thought was really sweet. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love something I read. Um, I was reading, um, Rolling Stone writer uh, Alan Sippenwell's take on the finale and he brought up I thought a really interesting perspective on that last scene which was just that you know it's the kind of scene that we might would would even seem a little bit daring for a live action you know production um, where you just have these two actors sitting together in silence for 40 seconds or something um and but at least like and you know it probably wouldn't be something that you would try without like extremely good <laughs> actors um, who right. who we can rely a lot to take away from the scene about what the characters are thinking etc from their movements and facial expressions. But in an animated show, you're you don't really have that. You don't you're have like, that, no. Yeah, you're very limited. It's basically just kind of. A, you know a couple of facial expressions and the characters are just kind of like moving their bodies around a little bit but but you know in order to really take away a lot from that scene it's kind of on the viewer more yeah. to think about everything that these characters have been through together and 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 it's more on the viewer to kind of project a lot of meaning onto that scene and I think that at least me as a viewer you know I absolutely did and I think that says so much about how this show has been able to emotionally connect you with these characters because I absolutely was sitting there just kind of like reminiscing about 
you know, yeah. about yeah. Bojack and, and Diane's relationship. Um, I, I thought that that scene was, was beautiful. Um, and, and I think it matters that it was this very intimate scene, right? This big expanse yeah. of blue over top of them, of like the night sky. Which also, can I just say that something always bothers me is how many stars there are. I know. In you in cannot LA. see they, any you stars, see in, Los stars in LA. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, in Hollywood, maybe you can. Yeah. In Hollywood, maybe. But yeah. Um, Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood. <laughs> um, but I thought, I think another theme of the show has been that Bojack has always viewed his self-improvement through the lens of how other people see him. He so desperately wants to be seen as a good guy. It's one of the reasons he makes the stupid decision to agree to a second interview, even after right. he did so, you know, just quote, his absolute well in the hubris. first one. Yeah. Because he just loved so much being seen as this redemptive figure, mm-hmm. like this brave guy. He loved it so much. And so then he just goes and ruins it for himself because a lot of his self-improvement was on, and his need for it was seen on, I, he, he wanted to other people to see it. It was the sort of celebrity aspect of it. Um, rather than just, hi, I want to be a better person because it's important to me and the people I care about. And that's what was so nice about this the closeness of the last episode, of it only involving those three other people, is that, and then that last scene of just him with Diane, it was just, it almost like, I I was felt optimistic about Bojack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in a sense. He, he was kind of realizing that it's like, okay, these are the people, even if this is my last conversation with Diane, this is this is why I'm becoming better. I don't know. I really do think it was their last conversation, too. I, I, I didn't get that. I was reading that more. And I know she said, or he made a joke. He's like, what if this is our last? And she kind of didn't think that was funny because she kind of was like, that's, could be, that's very possible, buddy. But um, I tend to be more optimistic about those things. So yeah. I didn't get that fully, but I can yeah. see that. I kind of was thinking about situations I've had like this in my own life. And I was like, yep, I can see, uh, you know, Bojack texting diane um you know a few times over the next year or two with like things that he does that he wants to tell her about and her just kind of uh tersely (laughs) and half-heartedly responding over text or something like that until it just sort of fades out to yeah uh no um contact between them but maybe they follow each other on instagram (laughs) um yeah yeah I, you know, I, I also thought that the the plots for our side characters were really great. It's funny, until you mentioned it, I didn't realize that they were the only characters. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I was. I, I think that's basically right, yeah. And I, I didn't love the wrap-up for Todd quite as much as you. I kind of felt like the mom stuff to me was a little bit stuffed in there and, like, didn't, it didn't work I think that I want. I think me. what I wanted was more of it. Yeah, I felt I think like Todd deserved to a little bit more. Agreed. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have minded. I love the 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 story of um of Todd finding meaning in his work for the first time through becoming a, a childcare uh provider. Um, I love that. I and I love the character of Todd's stepdad, <laughs> um, He's so funny. who is really <laughs> funny. Uh, <laughs> who does his voice again? I'm gonna look it up. Oh, actually. I don't, it's like vaguely familiar, but I can't I know. place it. Um, I agree. Jorge. I think they they needed to go more on the mom plot line or unfortunately just, I don't know, or, or cut it all together. It wasn't quite the right 
Um, oh, he is no one I know. Hi, huh. Jaime Camille. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. He's who in Jane. <coughs> oh, wait, he's Rogelio in Jane the Virgin. This doesn't mean anything to me either, unfortunately. You didn't watch Jane the Virgin? I didn't watch Jane the Virgin. I thought I only watched the first season, but I thought you had watched it too. No, I've never seen a single episode of it. Oh, he's very funny in Jane the Virgin. I mean, he's a great voice actor here. Like his, I mean, it's he's very funny. I think yeah. we get how he he answers the Todd the phone to Todd at one point in this episode. Like, uh, <laughs> please oh, let me know who this is so I can modulate the sound of my voice <laughs> <laughs> for what's best for this conversation or whatever. <laughs> um, which was great. I he's just really. I mean, every time I was pleased every time that character came up. But same, same. Uh, so it almost made the mom storyline worth it to me. But for a while, I thought that he was going to be like hiding up the fact that his mom had actually died or something. Like I kind of thought, I don't know why. There was, was... something a little sinister about it at first. Yeah, I'm glad that that's not where it went, but it was starting to seem like a little bit odd. But um, Todd throwing the party, you know, to kind of try and impress his mom where everyone's like has these stock uh, stock smart person sounding. <laughs> Smartphones are making us less connected. <laughs> it's true. Um, that's politics for you. That's politics for you. <laughs> the P- Mr. Peanut Butter just saying all of these lines in a row is like the most Mr. Peanut Butter <laughs> thing. Like and actually and believing all nodding. of them. Yeah, <laughs> is is wonderful. Um, oh, we didn't even talk about. Okay, I want to. I know we can't talk about everything that's going to go on forever, but the last conversation between Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter also, I thought was was great where she's like, it's like very emotional kind of for both of them. And Mr. Peanut Butter telling her that, you know, he's making peace with being alone for the first time. And, and it's like, they almost, it's like they, there's still that emotional connection there, but of course, Mr. Peanut Butter like ruins it by, saying that he wrote his entire memoir in a weekend and like <laughs> and he but and great. Diane are it's equally still a big accomplishment even though it's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then being like we're both such great writers <laughs> like and then you can just like Diane's like I you can just tell she's like I don't have even an ounce of regret. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about this relationship and any any regret that I had. But I thought that was really wonderful closure for Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter who I I, I always loved together even though they didn't make any sense they made no sense yeah yeah but and i'm kind of sad that it couldn't work out with pickles either but um you know mr peanut butter needed to end up alone that was like i think yeah he absolutely could write his memoir exactly yeah (laughs) oh the sad dog um i yeah i i just everything he is in birthday dad everything and then birthday dad like wins a pulitzer or something they like invent a pulitzer for television no they it was no they invented the nobel prize for television to give it to birthday dad <laughs> oh man oh birthday dad is is i love the i love the birthday dad <laughs> um yeah, so Bojack, you linked to a really great uh New York Times yeah, piece. Yeah, I liked that. Um kind of comparing some similar themes between the end of The Good Place and the end of uh Yeah. Bojack. Um James I, I think it's Panazzi Oh god, he says how to pronounce it in his Twitter bio. Um He's very good. Yes, but he's he, a great television writer. Yeah, but he compares Good Place and Bojack <coughs> Horseman. Um 
it was written, uh, it was published on January 29th, so, like, a, a few weeks ago, but, um, I highly recommend it, it's a really well-written piece, um, yeah, and you, like, quoted one line from it, the, like, if heaven is in the L.A. hills, so is hell, and over the past several years, these two comedies have wandered the crooked path between the two, trying to figure out how to be a decent person in a fallen world. That's a good yeah. line. It's a great line, yeah, and, yeah. you know, Bojack also uh himself contributing to like the fallen world but also yeah trying to pull himself yeah. out of and the like, wreckage yeah and like good place is obviously way more you know optimistic and sweet um it does believe in like fundamental goodness while i think bojack is kind of saying you know like it's it's often not um futile to futile but to is it futile or futile? Futile. Futile, yeah. Futile is the word. Yeah. Um, futile to, like, try to be a better person, but it's still worth it. And it's yeah. still important to do it, so. Yeah. Whether, you know, you, you, should, you shouldn't, shouldn't stop trying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to really miss Bojack a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a bummer that it's over. I know. I'm... You know, but I'm already feeling optimistic about, you know, we've gotten this other great project from Lisa Hanawalt, even though it didn't didn't pan out, um, sadly. But we've also gotten uh, the um, show that we watched on uh, Amazon Prime from uh, Raphael uh, <sighs> Waksberg. Um, Bob Wax. But yeah, rest, yes. Blah, Forget blah, the blah. Bob. Yeah, no. He also wrote a book recently that I'm interested in reading. Um, oh. He wrote kind of a, I think it's like a book of short stories, um, which I would like to read. But I'm I'm looking, I it's like we've, there's more ahead from all of these wonderful people, I'm sure. And, and I can't wait to see what any of their next projects are. Um, I hope that Lisa Hanawalt and... And, and Waksberg can collaborate again because just yeah. their sensibilities work so well together. Yeah, I agree. Um, so looking towards the future. Yeah. So I just found out that Babylon Berlin is coming back. I mean, what was that, three years ago? Like, what? No, was it? No. I feel like it was two years ago. I mean, That's a long time. It is. And, and remember that we didn't realize that everything that we had watched was two seasons. Oh, that's like, true. Do you think they they're going to drop two seasons at once? I don't think that they are. I think that this is this is billed as the third season because, like, when it came to Netflix, right? They didn't necessarily they didn't make the I think distinction that 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 was two seasons of television that had aired in Germany or in Europe or whatever. And then, um, but this is billed as I believe the third season that aired in Europe. So I yeah. think that this is this should be like yeah, ten episodes or whatever. Um, I'm pretty intrigued. We were like, I remember when that show ended, we were like, like, I, no, I want more. <laughs> even though it I know. can be, it's, it's, even though it's so many freaking plot lines. Um, it was very hard. And it, you know, and now I'm wondering, like, oh my God, is the Nazi stuff going to be too mm. disturbing? <laughs> yeah. As we move into like the kind of heart of Nazi yeah. occupation. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I haven't really read. I, I did read one of, uh, there's a, another TV writer that I love uh, for Vulture, um, 
I was she's been talking about the new season a lot on Twitter. She really loved it. That's the only thing I've read about okay. the new season. But it drops this coming Friday, the twenty eighth. So I'm definitely gonna I wanna check it out. Um Yeah. Yeah. I'll give I'll give the gander. And see if I feel as strongly about it as I did um, yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yes, um, that's a good tip. Um, I've also heard good things about the new High Fidelity on Hulu. I'm also curious about this. So I might give that one a go. With the um, Zoe Kravitz. With the Kravitz. Yeah. That's Zoe, right? Yes, from uh, Big Little Lies. I honestly can't tell her and her mom apart. Because her mom looks so young. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And I'm blanking um, on her name, which is insane. Uh, her mom is what Lisa Bonet. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Lisa Bonet yes. and Eleni Kravitz. Yes. yes. Um, but no, I, yeah, so I like, you know, right. Because I think, I did think, I really wasn't familiar with her acting prior to um, Big Little Lies. But she's yeah a very good actress. So, yeah, taking on the John Cusack role, which I think is a really interesting idea, at least. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've heard... I've heard, like, mixed but good things about it as well. Yeah. So, so I think I might give that one a go-to. Yeah, I'll be curious to, to hear how you like that. Um, I also wanted to give a shout-out. I don't have a IFC, so I can't really watch this. All I, I have seen the first episode because my cousin, um, I think, sent it to me to, to look at. She uh, works at AMC, which owns IFC. Um, and she did some of the development for this show, Year of the Rabbit, which stars... Matt Berry, who is Gareth Morangi of Dar- Gareth, Gareth Morangi's Dark Place. He's uh, not Garth Morangi. Yeah, he is. Yeah. No, he's Oh, in, no, he, you're he's right. He's in it, but he's not Garth Morangi. He's not Garth Morangi. He is the star of the show. What's his name? Um, but he's also in, like, IT Crowd. He's yes, he's part of the in, whole... Um, the the TV version of What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. Yeah, he's part of that. He does an episode of Travel of... Man. Yeah, with Richard Ayoade. Um, yeah, he's kind of part of that. Uh, oh, he's Rick Daglas. That's his name on Garth Marghi. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> Do- remember that. Dr. Rick D- I had I had to Google it, but Dr. Rick Daglas. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like we've mentioned Gareth Marenghi's Dark Place just a shocking number of times over the life of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you just, again... It informs you, so much. It really does. And again, if you haven't watched it, it's all, it's on, all YouTube. on YouTube. Just go, just search for. It's, I mean, I bet if you search for Dark Place, it'll come up. But it's there are yeah. a few few better ways to while away a few hours. So that's one of my favorite lines ever, which is Richard Ayoade saying, talking about this actress that in the world of the show died or disappeared after filming, um, and he goes, "In the end, she was like a candle in the wind, unreliable." <laughs> It's so good. It's such a stupid joke. I love it so much. Uh, it's oh man, that show is good. And, yeah, and I forgot about um, and I forgot about uh, what we do in the shadows as well. Yeah, so this is he's playing on this show uh, a, a Victorian England era um, inspector um, who is an alcoholic and just like a bumbling, you know, kind of like kind of a bumbling idiot, um, but uh, has like some you know, some uh, friends along the way, et cetera, that help him, I think, with cases and stuff like that. But it's actually pretty funny. Um, 
So that's on IFC also. I can't, I don't have it. But um, if you do, you should check out Year of the Rabbit. Um, I Now, for not watching, it's yeah. possible that I mentioned this when the ninth season of this show <laughs> premiered. But just in case you uh, aren't aware. I can't. The Walking yeah. Dead is still on television. That's crazy. Well, it also has spinoffs. Yeah. And it has fear. No, there's fear of the Walking Dead. And right? Isn't that a spinoff? That's a spinoff. And then there's also the Talking Dead, which I think is just people talking about the Walking Dead. Oh, brother. But it's yes, like its own right. show. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I gotta, that's another AMC show. I gotta say, AMC does not have a lot going for it <laughs> um, as a network, I think. So yeah. it's they, just kind of... of Mad Men. I mean, I guess Walking Dead is very popular, so maybe that's why they've held on to it so long. I guess so. It seems very expensive to produce to me, but also the actors have got to be cheap because they're like a bunch of who's on that show. You know, like, so I that show's still on. God knows how long that can keep going but um i will not be a part of it <laughs> i remember <laughs> i watched like, i think it's the not first... about zombies anymore it can't be it's got to be about it's gotta like, be other, interpersonal like... drama or something <laughs> right and i mean because how many episodes do you want of zombies attacking before you're like seeing it i am excited this actually makes me think though of the fact that i read over the last couple of weeks that um station 11 is finally coming to hbo as a a limited series um which uh you know was kind of a book sensation several years ago and i think has been in the works to become an adaptation for Mm -hmm. a few years now and it's finally been announced um although i think it's going to be on the new hbo streaming service hbo max um which i'm definitely getting unfortunately but uh i that's one that you can easily talk me into in terms of new streaming services will i will pay for more hbo unfortunately um but anyway so yeah i know it just has to be like a some other post-apocalyptic story at this point yeah yeah i don't know but um so is that all it right us? well yeah i think that's so it concludes another week of television yeah, three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the three weeks of television. Yeah, we'll see what we plow through until next time. Yeah, all right. Bye, Sarah. Bye. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>